I'll just pile on to this. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 282 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have a new rogue, Jerome Hardaway. Hey everybody, calling live from San Francisco at General Assembly and Dreamforce. Uh, really happy to have this opportunity and be able to connect with the Ruby Rogues out there. Awesome. We also have a special guest this week, and that's Jason Sweat. Hello. And uh, I think I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about Angular on Rails. So, Jason, do you want to give us a brief introduction to yourself, and then uh, we get started talking about Angular and Rails? Sure. So my name's Jason Sweat. I'm the author of angularonrails.com. I'm historically a Rails developer. Um, been teaching myself Angular over the last little while. And as I've been teaching myself Angular, I've been teaching it to other people as well. Nice. I think, Jerome, you also mentioned that you've done some Angular. Yes, uh, I actually use uh, Angular and Rails to teach veterans how to code. And uh, I used to work a lot in and using Angular and Rails the past couple of years. So I definitely uh, is a great front end connector for your Rails app. So I love it. Awesome. So I'm curious, um, is, is your experience mostly with Angular 2, which has been out for, I think, three weeks now? Or is it Angular 1? For me or for, for both uh, the guests? Angular 1 for me, uh, 1 and 1.5, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't really died into Angular 2 yet. Uh, I don't know, Sweat, is your uh, tutorial, is that Angular 2 now? Yeah, it's Angular 2. So pretty much all of my production Angular experience is Angular 1.x. And then almost everything that I'm doing going forward with AngularOnRails.com is Angular 2. Because I figure for the people who are just coming into it, they're going to want to mostly invest their time into learning Angular 2. Angular 1 is definitely not going away anytime soon. So I want to have some kind of balance. But most of the stuff I've been doing lately is Angular 2. All right. So I think, I think we're all familiar with Angular, but let's assume that our listener is familiar, say, with Rails, but not with Angular. Um, why, why would somebody want to look into something like Angular? Why not just do things the Rails way, so to speak? Good question. So I actually think that in a lot of cases, you should just use Rails, and you don't have to use a front-end framework like Angular in all cases. But I'll kind of describe the cases in which you might want to. So over the last several years, the web has evolved and the expectations of web users have kind of evolved. Um, we've gone from having static websites to having richer and richer, more interactive web applications. And those, those web applications involve more and more JavaScript. And as you do that, uh, you have so many AJAX requests and so much front-end logic and stuff like that. And it's very easy to, to let that run away from you and end up with a huge amount of spaghetti code. So in my mind, one of the benefits of Angular is that it gives you, it gives you places to put things. Um, and it gives you some structure for your front-end portion of your application so that you don't automatically end up with a mess. You certainly can still end up with a mess, even if you do use Angular, um, but it gives you slots to put things. Um, and so that's one part of it. And the other part of it is just, it makes all this interactivity a lot easier than if you're coding all this stuff from scratch. 
Roger that. I was going to actually piggyback on that. One of the main reasons that I've been using Angular Rails is um, for more dynamic websites. As you see, uh, the interactivity on, on the web has, like you said, exploded, and that's now what was a novelty is now come to be expected by the end user. So live uh, information, data modeling coming um, is coming to the front end, and that's one of my main reasons why I use uh, Angular. And I was a little intrigued on if you were ever going to expand on that in your tutorials uh, for, for users. So are you coming out with a book or anything in that regards? Well, before I answer that, expand on which part exactly do you mean? Expand on more of the real-time data modeling that you can do with Angular when it comes to uh, infinite information and actually having it show or search like a fuzzy search live, things of that nature. Are you going to be doing implementing more of that into your uh, tutorials? Good question. So that kind of stuff is more detailed than, than the stuff I've been covering so far. Um, what I've been covering so far is just the super most basic stuff, like how do I even set up an Angular Rails app at all? Because that's, that's actually really not a straightforward question and answer, you know? Because um, there's, yes. there's a number of different ways you can do it and a lot of different decisions you have to make. So, like, when, when it was Angular 1 and I was building my first Angular and Rails app, this is like 2013 or 2014 that I was getting started with, with that combination. So um, <laughs> right. Um, I was like, okay, how do I structure my Angular application? Like, where do I put stuff? There, I don't think at that time we had that, um, what now is I think the, the, first it was the de facto standard, and now I think it's officially like blessed as the standard that John Papa Angular style guide that didn't exist, or at least I didn't know about it back then. Everybody just kind of structured their Angular application however their dev team decided to. So there was really no direction. Um, so that was one thing. And then it's like, okay, do I structure this as like a client server architecture where Rails is just purely an API and then I have the client side, like maybe even in a separate repo, or do I put Angular in the asset pipe? Like there's so many decisions you have to make just before you even get to square one and you can have a Hello World app. So that was one of the first, first things that I documented. Um, I think what I ended up choosing was, and I don't do it this way anymore, but, but what I used was Gulp with Yeoman. Yeah, Yeoman was kind of the key component to the way I was spinning up my Angular 1 apps because they had a command you could run to generate an Angular app. It would give you a directory structure. And to me, that was, that was great because a lot of people who come from a Rails background have the philosophy of like, I want the framework to be opinionated and to make most of the decisions for me. I want there to be like one right way to do stuff even if I might not necessarily agree with the one right, one right way to do stuff, at least everybody's doing it the same way. One of the really nice things about Rails is that if you jump into any Rails project, chances are that it's gonna pretty much look like most of the Rails projects you've done in the past, and you can 
you can locate things and be productive pretty quickly. So anyway, I wrote a blog post back then about how to wire up Angular and Rails as a single page application. And that was a pretty popular post. And looking back, I don't know if I even like agree with the stuff I wrote, but at least it was a way to get started. It, it kind of, you could skip over scratching your head and, and making all those decisions and thinking about that stuff. And it was just totally paint by numbers. Roger that. We, we have to like share some notes. I've been using Bauer uh, to do that. I really like, uh, I really like Bauer. Um, for my CLI and just being able to integrate things. So um, after the show, uh, I would love to connect with you and be able to uh, trade some notes on that at a later date. Absolutely. So, so you mentioned the CLI stuff. With Angular 2, we have the Angular CLI. Have you guys used that much at all yet? Yeah, I haven't played with it at all right now. I've been so focused on uh, just teaching, uh, just using the Rails component uh, lately for uh, for our students. I haven't really played with that yet, but I plan to get into it in the next couple of weeks. So looking yeah. forward to it. If you like the Rails CLI, you know, the Rails command line interface, then you'll like the Angular CLI. Uh, there, there's a lot that's very similar there. Um, and, and speaking about setting up Angular on Rails, I mean, I've seen people try and make it work with sprockets and the asset pipeline in Rails. And then I've seen people pull in just, you know, in other ways, you know, pull in Angular and make it work that way. So they kind of set up their own little client project area. And then they use something like Webpack or the CLI actually pulls in Webpack for Angular 2, um, you know, or do something like Bower or, you know, some other build process with Gulp or Grunt and just make that work. So there are a lot of ways to go. Yeah, and that's the tough thing, is that there's so many different ways you can do it. Um, I'm really glad that for Angular 2, the Angular CLI exists, because it's, again, it would, it would not be ideal if everybody who's doing Angular is structuring their project in a way different way, and every time you come into a new Angular project, even though it's still Angular, you have to get familiar with that unique directory structure and, and build system and all that stuff. I like the fact that if you're using Angular CLI, you're going to get the directory structure that Angular CLI gives you. It's going to be using Webpack. Um, and I've been betting pretty hard that in the future, Angular CLI is going to become a really central part of the workflow for, for most people's Angular 2 development. And so for all my Angular 2 educational stuff, Angular CLI is a part of that. So one thing that I'm wondering then is, um, if you're using Angular CLI, it kind of comes with its own build process with Webpack. So do you let it essentially build your TypeScript uh, Angular app into whatever JavaScript file it's going to build and then hand that off to the asset pipeline or do you just include it separately? So here's how my dev process goes. And let me back up just a little bit before I answer that, Chuck, and, and describe how I structure my Angular Rails apps. So when I'm, when I'm building applications, I'm kind of making an, an assumption about my audience that they want to build single page applications. 
because I kind of have to pick one style and go with that because I, I just can't cover all the different permutations that are possible. It's just too much documentation for me to write. Um, so I'm assuming you want to build a single page application. The way I handle that in development is I spin up a Rails 5 API only application, have that going on localhost 3000. And then separately, I spin up an Angular CLI project. I, I run the ng serve command to let Angular CLI spin up an Angular server. That runs on localhost 4200. And then I proxy any API requests locally to localhost 3000. So I have, I have the Rails server and the Angular server running separately locally. Then when I deploy, I have Angular CLI do a build into the public folder for Rails, and then I just run it all in the same place. I don't know if that answers your question, Chuck. Yep, it sure does. Uh, one of the things, well, I was, with my experience, a lot, what I've been doing is that I've been, like I said, I've been using a combination of Bower and Sprockets, and instead of having to run on 4200 and local 3000, local 3000, I've been integrating them both and having them run in unison on localhost. So I was one of the things I wanted to ask is why would you um, go through that process of having it run in separate um, separate components instead of focusing on getting it to integrate um, as smoothly as possible? So all you have to do is that you know that Rails S and then turn it and then have it run. Uh, that's what like that's how we teach our troops. So I just I just want Understand the why behind your method. Sure. So it sounds like the way you're doing it is: Are you putting it in the asset pipeline? Yes, we are putting it within the asset pipeline using, um, and also Bower files as my nature. Yeah, and that's a totally fine way to do it. I haven't really gone down that path myself because I'm going kind of the um, the totally separate client-server architecture. And some people like that because they, you know, when you're deciding how to structure your application, it depends a little bit on your, your team structure. Like, do you have dedicated back-end and front-end people? Um, or, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying negative is just for educational purposes, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Or, or if your team is, like, all full-stack people or mostly full-stack people, um, you, you have everybody who's comfortable doing both real stuff and angular stuff because some people even go so far as to have the back end and the front end be separate repos. So that's just kind of the way I chose to do it. It's not necessarily better or worse than any other way. I just, again, I had to pick a way and kind of go with that for all my material. I'll just pile on to this. Um, I like the way that Jason approaches this just from the standpoint of, I've never really had a lot of luck getting TypeScript to work really nicely with the asset pipeline. Now, that may have been something I was doing wrong, but um, I'm a fan of TypeScript. I, I kind of had to be won over, but, you know, I, I had it explained. I tried it out. And there are a lot of things I really like. So in order to get TypeScript with Angular 2 to run nicely, I find that the tools that come with Angular and the Angular CLI are a lot nicer. And so if I can just make that build, 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 run, 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 um, I don't mind running two different servers to make it work. Though I didn't get the proxy working, um, but that's a separate issue that I'll talk to Jason afterward. I had a little bit of trouble with proxying it over to 
uh, localhost 3000. So I just hard-coded the URLs into my components and made it work that way. So Jerome, are you using TypeScript in the asset pipeline or are you using some other flavor of, of ECMAScript or? Uh, we're using a uh, basic, we're using JavaScript and ES6. That's what we're using. We're not using TypeScript uh, for the purpose of the troops. Like we don't want to try to introduce them to too much heavy stuff too soon. It's only 19 yeah. weeks, so. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing I wanted to say like, so at angularonrails.com, I have a, an email subscription list where people can stay updated. And a lot of the people who sign up, uh, when they do sign up, they get an email from me automatically saying like, hey, uh, what's your background? Why do you want to learn Angular? Blah, blah, blah. And a lot of the people who sign up are brand new to development in general. Um, and if you're brand new, like I probably wouldn't recommend that you try to start with like an Angular and Rails single page application right on day one. And I imagine you, Jerome, probably don't do it that way. Um, but like my recommendation to people is usually like learn Rails first. And then once you get a little comfortable with that, then you can start learning the, the Angular stuff too. Um, but out of those two, you know, I would probably start with Rails. That seems like easier to pick up in my mind. Yes, it is. We, I've actually, <laughs> I've made that mistake of trying to jump, uh, have a troop jump straight to Angular and Rails. And uh, then we had to retrograde back into just full, uh, just full stack Rails. I just wanted to know because I was maybe, it was for educational purpose that you had maybe had to set up that way so that they could understand more of the components of uh, building an Angular app and a Rails app because most times, what I've seen is that when I'm talking to people in the community, when they're messing with Angular, they're usually messing with it in conjunction with something else, like mean yeah. stack or uh, lamp stack or Rails. They're not really, uh, one friend of mine, he's uh, using Angular with WordPress. They're not really um, just using Angular um, standalone. So I just want to know maybe it was, if it was for something like, so they could get it dive deeper into Angular itself or if it was well, something more that there there is one really good reason i think for having them separate like that pretty much all the angular rails projects that i've inherited from other people have angular in the asset pipeline and pretty much all of them have abused angular horribly um for for a number of reasons but one thing that i see is in the templates they have tons of ERB and Angular string interpolation mixed together. And especially when, it's, when, it, when the templating language is Haml, so like there's a lot of braces in it, Angular templating, there's a lot of braces in it. And so when you have all that stuff mixed together, it's like, hang on, what, what here is Ruby and what's Angular? What's coming from Rails and what's coming from Angular? And then when you throw like a bunch of Twitter bootstrap classes and stuff on there, it just becomes indecipherable. So if you separate the Angular code into a completely different directory and you make it like physically impossible to mix Ruby and JavaScript, then you can't shoot yourself in the foot that way. Um, so that's probably the best reason I have for doing it that way. But, but again, I didn't like put a ton of thought into how am I going to structure this before I, before I built it? I just kind of randomly picked away and went with it. So let's go ahead and talk about the structure of Angular for a minute because, again, I, 
I know some of our listeners are familiar with Angular. They're using it with Rails or Sinatra or Rota or what have you. But how are people putting their Angular apps together? You know, I mean, they'll go look at the documentation. They'll see stuff like components and uh, views or templates and uh, services and directives and all of these other things and the routing. So, so how do people think about that um, with relation to their uh, Rails app? And how do, how do you actually tie those two together? Good question. So just just a quick like PSA, I guess, and I, I wish I didn't have to say this, but one way not to do it is to just throw everything in Angular controllers. Because that's what I see so much. And, I, and I'm talking to Angular 1. People just put all, all the code in controllers and it's absolute insanity. So don't do that. Um, more about Angular 2. The way that is structured. The, the building block of Angular 2 is something called components. And they're kind of shifting Angular 1 to be this way too. Like in Angular 1.5, they introduced components. And my guess is that they're, they're doing that in an effort to, to push Angular 1 kind of more into the shape that Angular 2 is. So when you if and when you upgrade from Angular 1 to Angular 2, it's as smooth as possible. But basically, if I can explain this in terms that aren't too technical, because Angular has a lot of terms and concepts, and I, I think that that kind of works against the, the objective of learning. An Angular 2 component, the way I think about it, is it's, you're creating your own custom HTML tag. So you can put that HTML tag on the page, and with that, you automatically get a template with some behavior to it. That's kind of how I think of that. Yeah, another way to put it is you're saying you create your own tag. So, for example, you create a tag that's uh, um, uh, well, they have they have an example that's Twitter heroes, and so they essentially have a hero tag, and what that does is then the component knows to replace that with standard HTML that gets added to the DOM that renders, you know, a profile view for a, a hero. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of the component is the logic. And so I tend to think of it as the template in the view model. Um, if, you, if you're if you familiar with MVStar, this is kind of an MVVM. Um, and uh, the M part of it is usually a service that connects back to the API. The V is the template which can be embedded in the component or can just be a separate file that's referenced by the component. And then you have the, the rest of the logic that goes in it as a view model. And you can nest components. So you can have a hero and then you can have a hero image um, component that creates a hero image tag that just puts the image in in the right way and gives it behavior and on and on and down and down. Yep, and if you're hearing this stuff and, and wondering what the heck we're talking about, um, that Tour of Heroes tutorial on the Angular site, I found to be pretty good as far as dipping your toe into the water with, with Angular 2. Um, it, it takes you through the steps of, of creating something and getting it. And when I looked at that for the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is kind of how it works. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then, by the way, um, little self plug here. If if you go through the 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 tour of heroes tutorial, I have a blog post that shows you how to take that tour of heroes tutorial in Angular 
and then put a Rails app underneath that and get the two to talk to each other. So that can be one one easy way to get started. That's dope. I'm gonna I want to share that. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty nice. I actually went through that and it was working pretty well as far as I got on it before I was like, you know, I want to build my own thing. <laughs> so I switched. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired. They run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues Podcast. One question I have uh, is nothing to do with programming uh, per se when it comes to the Angular Rails is I signed up, uh, I think maybe three months, no, two months ago for your Angular Rails uh, project. And one of the things that like I absolutely was, I, I was excited to see a blog out there for that for some type of like there people that might be interested, they were already in de development, things of that nature. But the tutorial was sent me like one email, like one part, and then I had to like wait, like, I don't know, was it three days or a week or something for another part? It drove me crazy. And like, on a humorous note, why did you do that? Like, it was torture. I was, I was like, I can't, I can't do this because I'm going to like bang my head against the wall. I'm waiting for, I just want the whole, give me the whole tutorial. I'm like, I'm revving, ready to go. And you give me a little bit and you stop. But like, who does that? That's some type of sadomasochism right there. Why would you do that in the first <laughs> that's, that's really funny. <laughs> and that's really interesting that you asked that because I changed that just a few days ago to where now instead of, I called it an email mini course. So now instead of the email mini course, what you get is a guide that I created that's just everything at once. Um, and just a real quick explanation of why that was the way it was. I was kind of following the, uh, the paint by numbers, build a business online approach. Uh, and people were telling me, Hey, you should create an email mini course that teaches people your thing. And so I was like, okay, I'll create an email mini course, but I had it out there for a while. And then I realized, Oh wait, that's stupid. And so then I changed it to be not stupid anymore. Awesome, man. I was, like I said, I was so excited when I saw it and then I tried it and I was like, yo, I am uh, going to go crazy waiting for these emails. I'm too busy. I, got, I can't do this. So, but I, I actually, one of my students, he brought up that you changed it. I was like, I just wanted to let everybody else know, yo, you can go get the whole thing out there now. It's an amazing, like, I thought it was a really good resource, especially for people who have some technical experience, but really want to dive into a framework, especially with that, with your concept of connecting Angular to uh, Rails. Right now is really big in the uh, community to connect a JavaScript framework to a Rails app. So you still have that, you know, I guess you can still be like the cool kids, but still use Rails and Ruby at the same time. So it was really, I'm really excited that that's changed. 
Yeah. And by the way, feedback like that is super helpful. So if anybody listening to this happens to go to angularonrails.com and gets that guide, just please hit reply and tell me what you think of it. Like if you find any mistakes or you think it could have been better somehow, please let me know. So I'm curious, um, I'm asking this to both of you. What do you think is the hardest part of integrating Angular with Rails? Jerome, I'll let you go first. For me, uh, when it comes to integrating Angular Rails, I think the initial connection is difficult and then getting uh, the templating to speak to the Rails app or to work in unison with the Rails app. That's, um, from, my point, from my point of view, from my experience, is those first initial steps are always the uh, hardest and the most, the ones that can, you know, that makes or breaks the app literally. And you change you from having to like having a real smooth uh, building process to having to start all over. So for my experience, it's been those initial like, you know, using Bower, a Bower G install and then getting the Bower file to connect to Angular and then turning it, um, adding it to the asset um, pipeline uh, and then ensuring that, because for our students, we don't use TypeScript, ensuring that it use, instead of TypeScript, it uses JavaScript. And just going from that, so those are the, like, the steps we go through, and those have always been, those first initial steps have always been, all right, these are the trouble spots, everybody pay attention, take notes, uh, things of that nature. I'm interested to hear what uh, Sweet has to say on that. Yeah, so for me, it's three things. Uh, deployment, testing, and with Angular 2, just the, the harrowing pace of change with the technology. Especially for, this is a little bit unique to my personal situation, but I'm documenting this stuff. And so it's like, uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, you know the uh, Golden Gate Bridge, every time they get done painting it, they just start back over at the, at the beginning and start painting <laughs> it again. I have to do that with all my stuff because Angular 2 is constantly changing. Um, like when I first released my book, it was outdated on launch day just because it was physically impossible for me to keep it up to date enough. Now that Angular 2.0.0 final is out, that has like stabilized a little bit. Um, but that for me, that, that just would drive me nuts when I would document something and then like the day I got done with it, it didn't work anymore because they changed it. So those three things, but like I said, at this point in time, I think that pace of change is slowing down a little bit, but you know, the rapid pace of change in the JavaScript world in general, that is probably not going to slow down anytime. That was, that was actually be my next question. Like, why would you invest uh, so heavily in integration of Rails with a uh, application, with a JavaScript web frame, a framework that is so rapidly changing? Um, there's a very funny article out um, right now shows how JavaScript frameworks are popping out basically like every 15 minutes. It's almost like uh, Krispy Kreme donuts, get it while it's hot. Uh, it's insane at the rate that these frameworks are coming out. So I was wondering, especially when they're changing it, uh, you know, with the Rails core, uh, the core, Rails core team, they keep a lot of the things that we are accustomed to while trying to incrementally make it better. As you said before, Rails 1 almost feels totally different from like, well, Rails X, I mean, I'm sorry, Angular 1 feels almost different from Angular 1X. And um, as you said, you wrote Angular, your book, and it was outdated the minute it launched. So why would you, um, why would you invest on that 
part of the product when it comes to something that changes literally so fast. Like you'll wake up next week and Angular 3 will be in the mix. So I just want to know uh, some feedback on that. I think that's a really interesting, like um, that passion it would take to take on a project of this uh, magnitude. And it's uh, basically you're putting out fires all the time. So. Oh yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's two parts of answering that question. One is like in general, why would a person build a production application that uses a front end technology that moves it moves so quickly? And my answer to that, that would be like, if you're going to build any new project, um, think about it before you choose the front end technologies. Like if you sit down with your team and talk about it, and you decide that what you need is an application that has deep, rich, interactive functionality, and it's, it's going to be a nightmare unless you use a tool like Angular, then that's a good reason to use Angular. Using Angular because you think it sounds cool and you just want to try it out on this you know, pretty standard CRUD application, that's probably not a very good reason to use Angular. So like I would ask myself when building a new application, can I get away with just plain old Rails? And if you can, then just use Rails. Like it's okay to build a regular old, old fashioned web application that doesn't use a front end framework. But for me to answer the other part of that question, Jerome, why would I choose to take on this endeavor of, of documenting this stuff and teaching it to people? I'm talking to the people who have already made the decision that they want to build a singular single page application using Angular. Um, and, you know, I have to go back and re-update stuff constantly, but that's just kind of my life. Uh, a big reason that I built this at all is because there was nothing like this that existed. Like if you Google Angular and Rails, like I Googled that uh, back when I first started this, like I said, in 2013 or 2014 or whatever it was, I was shocked by how little existed. Um, there was this book called NG Book. It still exists. There's, there's a version two of it now by Ari Lerner, I think is the author. Yeah. And he had an additional little ebook that covered Angular and Rails. And it was pretty good, but it was just, um, it was very short and it didn't cover everything that I wanted. And I was just like, man, I cannot believe how little out there exists that covers Angular and Rails. Yeah, um, Pragmatic Bookshelf now, they have a full book on Angular and Rails and Postgres and uh, Bootstrap as well. And like I've just recently heard about it and picked it up and I've looked at it and I, between your product and their product, I definitely say your product is very more, it's far more user friendly. It's just one of those things that I just wanted to make it understand because you're right, there's not enough Angular and Rails information out there, or Rails and any JavaScript framework. Um, but I was just interested in it because that stuff, you know, JavaScript frameworks, they change essentially, like I said, almost every 15 minutes. They're, they're like the weather in uh, Miami. It's crazy. So Right. Yeah, and people have asked me, like, if I'm going to put out a print version of the book. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll do that. But at this point, it's like, I don't think I want to because the second it gets time. printed, it'll be... Out of date. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be wasting money now. Nah, bad investment. Keep it. Keep doing what you're doing. 
Yeah, and, and one good thing, like from the consumer end, when you buy an ebook and it gets updated, as long as the author chooses to, uh, they can push out updates. So you can you can always have the most updated thing, and I like that. Hey, do you need a sanity check on your code? Make sure all the tests are passing. Make sure all the static assets compile. You know, all the normal things that you need to do to make sure that your application is ready for production. Then you need continuous integration, and I recommend Snap CI. SnapCI is a product put together by our friends at ThoughtWorks, and it works great to pull all of your information together about your application, make sure it's ready for production, let your team know if it fails, and overall, just make your life easier. So go check them out at SnapCI.com. Yeah, it's it's interesting just from the standpoint of, I mean, when I'm looking for something like this where, I mean, I understand Rails, and this is written for Rails developers, and I understand Angular to, you know, I'm not expert Angular, but I'm I'm passable at angular you know i want something that's just going to walk me through the essentials but i want something that's going to walk me through the essentials in a complete way so that i don't have to guess at which leaps i have to take and that was something i really did like about your book was that you know i could skim through it find the places that i needed to you know that i didn't know and then just plug all that stuff in and it was it was pretty apparent where you were going with things and what the next steps were going to be and so it was it was easy to follow and it was nice just to plug in a lot of these pieces so that they just work yeah i also have to thank you for pointing out rack cores uh gem uh-huh uh, i've built apps with angular one and rails and uh i was using angular one uh basically cross uh, uh, cross origin and setting up cores was such a pain and had oh yeah like that where it was just Oh yeah, just allow anything. Just allow these domains. It was really, really nice. So. Yeah, I think it used to be a lot more painful than it is now. Uh, you know, when you when you spin up a new Rails five application now, there's a commented line in the gem file that that has the rack cores gem in it, and I don't think that was always there. I think that's no. a recent addition. Yeah, the other the other tidbit that I picked out of the book was the dash dash API. Mm -hmm. When you do the Rails generate on scaffold or controller, it doesn't generate all of those HTML views, which is also very handy. Yeah, I like that a lot too. And and there are a lot of other just little tidbits like that just getting set up that I really liked. So, um, all right, this is for the newbies. Uh, what would you? How would you recommend for a person who's has some experience with Rails? I'm thinking maybe less than a year, but they are they saw your book and they want to try it. Uh, what would you give them the best advice on how to get the most out of your out of your book? So whenever I'm teaching myself a new technology, um, I do it in kind of two passes. On the first pass, I do a spike. So people might be familiar with that term. A spike in general is just when you you build some feature quickly and you don't worry about uh, good code or test coverage or anything like that. You're just kind of exploring to see how feasible it is. So that's what I do first. Um, like when I first built an Angular app, I definitely didn't want to try to build a production application as my first Angular application because I don't know about other people, but for me, the first time I use any technology the first time, I do it totally wrong. And that was true of Rails, too. Like, my first Rails app was horrible. Um, my first <laughs> Angular app was, too. So, like, if that's the case, let's just consciously acknowledge that. 
And for my first project using anything, I don't want it to be something that matters. So I would recommend you do that first. Just go through and, and build something. Just get to a point where it works as quickly as you can. For one, just so you can kind of see what's what. But for two, just for like motivational purposes, you know, it's really discouraging if you try to build something and every two seconds, it's like, oh, I can't move to the next step because I'm getting this weird error I don't understand or, or whatever. And if you try to get every little thing perfect, then you're just never going to get there. So I like to do a spike first. And then once I do that, that gives me like a high level overview of the landscape and I can use that now deeper understanding that I have to go back. And then the second time, I'll pay more attention to good code and test coverage and all that kind of stuff. So to answer your question, Jerome, right now, so I'm, I'm like reworking my material to reflect that because the book doesn't really right now. The book is basically one big long tutorial, which is fine, but the thing that I don't like about it is it tries to make it too perfect the first time through. Like when you're building stuff, it's like, oh, okay, you generated this new component, but that broke our tests, so let's go back and fix our tests. So what I'm, what I'm adding to it is um, in the beginning, I'm going to add a spike. But right now, when you, if you download my my guide to getting started with Angular and Rails, that does a spike for you. So if you want to still get that same thing, you can go through my guide and, and do a spike. And then you can go to the book, which doesn't do a spike. It goes through the more like really in-depth cover every little thing um, and, and that kind of thing. So that's, that's, I think, the approach that I'd recommend. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, I want to give you a minute to just talk about what you have at AngularOnRails.com before we get to picks. Um, I, I have a little bit of a, a time issue here, so I'm going to push this that way. But if people want to follow up with you, follow you on Twitter, um, go buy your Angular on Rails book, anything like that, what do they do? Where do they go? Sure. So you can pretty much get to everything by going to AngularOnRails.com. Um, but like I said, there's, there's the free guide to getting started with Angular and Rails. And it's like the front page is that. If you put in your email, it sends it to you. And it won't drip it out over several days anymore, Jerome. It'll give it to you all at once. Um, and then if you want to buy the book, you can use the code RubyRogues, just one word, all lowercase, RubyRogues, and that'll get you 10 bucks off of, off of any product on the site. Um, you can email me at jason at angularonrails.com if you have any questions about Angular, using Angular and Rails together. Um, I really enjoy hearing from people and answering questions and stuff like that. And on Twitter, I'm just Jason Sweat. Yeah, already followed you, man. Awesome. Nice. Now, Jerome, you're doing something a little bit different this week, so I wanted to give you a minute to talk about uh, Vetsu Code and Dreamforce real quick, and then we'll get fixed. Uh, roger that. Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you, uh, <laughs> or Charles. I want to call you Chuck because that's you what it, everything is. Everybody calls me Chuck. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm out here in San Francisco, and we've been invited to Dreamforce to 
meet, mingle, and do some meetings with some really amazing people and talk to them about our mission when it comes to helping veterans learn how to code. Uh, for you guys who didn't hear me on uh, Ruby Rogues before I became a panelist, what I do is that I help veterans learn uh, how to do software in, uh, development in, in Ruby on Rails and in Angular. So that's why I was excited when I found uh, Jason Sweat's uh, material and I was like, ah, driving me crazy, I wanna do all this at once. Uh, but it's a really uh, amazing opportunity. We're out here. We're about to meet and mingle with Vet Forest and do some amazing things to hopefully help more veterans transition into the technology sector, uh, which, as you guys know, is like my main mission. So uh, outside of that, um, I'll here ready to have a blast and pass out some cards. All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and get to some picks. Uh, Jerome, since you were just talking, go ahead and uh, share some picks with us. Roger that. Uh, first pick is definitely going to be that... Uh, Heroes Ang Angular 2 tutorial. Uh -huh. I, you know, just off the cuff, I'm like, I absolutely love the idea. Something like that that can help uh, people. Uh, so that's pick number one. Second pick, uh, big ups to, uh, for a number one pick for this General Assembly. Uh, that's a, another great, another great pick. These guys, they, every GA city lets me come in and just use it, uh, use it as a work, uh, workspace, workplace. And they've always, they've been one of our number one supporters as a 501c3. Uh, so definitely my second pick would be General Assembly. And uh, third pick would be uh, Dreamforce. So asking us to come out here and, you know, meet and mingle with these uh, beautiful people and, you know, talk about the, preach the gospel of helping veterans. So those are my uh, three picks uh, for this week. Very cool. I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. Uh, the first two are somewhat self-serving, but uh, I'm going to put them out there. The first one is uh, adventures in Angular. So if you are in, in, into Angular or you want to get into Angular, um, I put on another podcast with another panel and we talk about Angular every week. Um, over the last few months, we've been talking a lot about Angular 2. So if you want to get familiar with some of the concepts that are in Angular 2, um, we covered them basically as they were released. Um, some of the panelists include the um, developer relations head, uh, team lead, or I'm not sure exactly, but it's developer relations. She's the, the lead there. She's on our show. Um, the contractor that they have writing all their documentation, he's on our show. Um, Jason mentioned John Papa, uh, who wrote the style guide and tour of heroes. He's also on the show every week. So, you know, we kind of have an all-star panel where we talk about Ruby on, or Ruby on Rails. We talk about Angular. Um, <laughs> And then if you want videos from an Angular conference, Angular Remote Comp videos are up. You can get them for $100 a piece. And by the time this goes live, Rails Remote Comp will be over. But you can also get those videos for the same deal. The, the tickets are typically $200 a piece. Um, the $100 gets you unlimited access to the videos afterward. Um, since you don't have the live experience, the Slack chat, or anything else that comes with those conferences, um, you know, it's a reduced price. So anyway, um, those are my picks. Jason, what are your picks? So my first pick, Chuck, was actually going to be Adventures in Angular. Uh, and I just want to make a comment about that show. So, like, you might, you might think that, like, I don't want to learn about technical stuff from audio. Um, but I've actually found it hugely helpful in a way that no other source is because it's just so, like, it's so timely. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll listen to those episodes and then go Google the thing that the episode is about. And the, the guests that are on the show, just another tip, pay attention to who the guests are and then go Google the names of the guests 
and they'll usually have like books out there or videos or some other resource. So like by subscribing to uh, Adventures in Angular, it helps you get plugged into all these other resources too. Um, another pick of mine is NG Book, which I mentioned earlier. Um, I've only read the, the Angular 1 version of NG Book, but it was, it was really in-depth and really good, so I'm sure NG Book 2 is good too. I just haven't gotten to that one myself yet. Um, and then I actually have a couple non-technical books that I want to share, just because these, these books have totally been uh, life-changing for me, and, and it reaches into all areas. And those two books are How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, and then the other one is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. So those are my epics. Very cool. Awesome. All right. Are, uh, two books I really need to get into reading. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Stephen Covey actually used to live over here in Provo, and I got to meet him once, and he's a he's oh, wow. guy. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, both of those books are really tremendous books. Um, anyway, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Go check out angularonrails.com and we'll catch y'all next week. Roger that. All right. See you guys later. Bye guys. Thanks. Bye.